Hello, listeners and citizens of Broncos country. I am your host, Alan Diaz, and joining me to my right, I want to say, right or left, is my co-host, my brother from up north, Richie, Richie, Richie. How are you today, my friend? Not too bad. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How was your Valentine's Day? It went real well. Uh, my wife uh, surprised me with uh, the ordering of a whack of steaks, so that... Uh, it's the fastest way to get me to pay attention is to throw a slab of meat for me to barbecue. Uh, that one that was awesome. I was uh, very appreciative. That was a wonderful Valentine's gift, as you can imagine. I uh, I'm not a real flowers type of guy. Um, <laughs> well, and, they do uh, say the more manly men are up in Canada. Uh, well. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I mine was it was okay. Uh, spent it with my dog. Uh, but, uh, you know, either way, I, I have family and spent it with my nephew who I love seeing little three month old boy, uh, shout out to my nephew, Santiago. Uh, but anyway, yeah, thanks. That's a great uh, yeah, it, I, I, it was between Santiago and Lucas and my brother and his girlfriend settled on Santiago. So big fan of the name. I, I, I have no idea what the actual meaning of Santiago is, but I will say just it, it has a, a great role to it. So I, I, I love the name. Right. I'm pretty sure if you looked it up, it means something totally different than whatever you had in mind. But I think that's you can be you can say that about anybody's name, to be honest. Right. With you. Well, my name is my name means Lionhearted. So I'm, I'm totally cool with that. Oh, see, I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> OK, uh, well, 
Thanks for joining us, guys. Hope you guys are ready for a jam-packed show. We're going to try to get all your questions and comments into the the format of today's show. So if you guys have any questions for Rich or myself and you're watching us live, please make sure you get them in. We'll try to answer them in however much time is allotted. We don't want to uh, keep anybody out. So towards the end of the show, if you have a question, please don't feel like we're uh, neglecting you or anything. But we're just trying to keep the show rolling, try to keep everybody informed about what's going on or what has happened during the last seven days that we were off the air. So in today's show, Rich, I wanted to kind of cover, uh, you know, the, the our new GM. We don't know a lot about him in terms of the GM role. We can only go back and see what he did in his time with the Vikings. But in his time with the Vikings, he wasn't a GM. So now that he's in a GM, and you and I did a little talking about this uh, before we went on the air, we I, I, I made a comment that, he had whatever moves that the GM is, is going to do, he has to do them outside of what Elway would do, you know, because he doesn't want to walk in that same shadow and then, you know, crit be criticized for it. So in today's episode, Rich, I wanted to kind of get an idea of what you thought the GM might be. He's going to do something big. We know he is. And if you and I could try to hone in on what we may think he'd do, and then if it actually happens, we can kind of be, let's see who can be the closest to that prediction. Sure. Um, well, if you're going to look at what Elway has done traditionally so far, um, he has by and large ignored middle linebacker, the offensive line, and the defensive line. Mm -hmm. I mean... If we're going to be truthful and, and and honestly hone in in terms of what we had, um, we drafted by fluke, in my opinion, um, uh, a few really solid D-line players. And they were complementary to a point where, you know, between Derek Wolf and Malik Jackson, and, and we had a couple other, um, you know, uh, rotational type guys that were mixed in that 2015 defense. Um but we, we drafted fairly well. And, and in many cases, those drafts came from either just before or by and large when Elway was taking orders from Xanders, um, mm -hmm. Brian Xanders. Uh, and since that relationship, you know, departed, um, <laughs> uh, we really haven't seen a focus on any one of the lines, either defensive line or offensive line. We mm -hmm. saw in Peyton Manning's tenure, we saw a degradation, especially near the back end of his tenure. And like, well, he retired after 2015, but basically right after Manning left, we saw basically the offensive line get ignored. And I think that was a huge fault on Elway's part. So if, if we want to see Peyton take a totally different approach, it would be bolster the offensive line, bolster the defensive line, and actually remember that middle linebacker is a pretty important position on a football team. <laughs> and 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 do something about it um and unfortunately i do think that for some people that means that someone like josie jewel is is likely going to end up being a, a backup for our team for the next year because if if you're going to put my feet to the flame and and say pick one between alexander johnson and josie jewel uh i actually think that while i don't much care for either perhaps long term because because i think we need more speed i think Alexander Johnson is the better of the two due to size, uh, size, speed, and versatility as a trifecta combination. And I think Josie Duell just becomes the odd man out. 
Very well said, my friend. Very well said. Mohamed Badri, loyal sh- uh, fan of the show. Thanks for watching. He says, it sounds like the Broncos aren't sold on Locke. I was wrong. He is actively looking for another quarterback. Now, it's funny that Muhammad mentions this because this is exactly where I was going to go with my prediction. And I feel you read like... show notes. <laughs> he probably did. So it's a little <laughs> bit scary that Muhammad brings up the point because this was going to be my prediction to you, Rich. I was going to say that I think that Peyton is going to find a way to deal Drew Locke. And as much as I, I hate saying that, it, it kind of feels like it's going to happen because you saw it happen. He tried to deal Drew Locke to the Lions, or if not him, then the Lions wanted Drew Locke. It, it, either way, Drew Locke's name was mentioned for in that, in, those, in that trade talk. So to me, it kind of pisses me off knowing that he's not fully sold. And I'm pretty sure as time goes on, he might get other people to join that bandwagon uh, in terms of not believing in Drew Locke and finding somebody uh, that's not a free agent, you know. So if this whole thing with Deshaun Watson goes, you know, catches on fire and these rumors about him being uh, quote-unquote interested in coming to Denver and, you know, the the Broncos offering up a a King's ransom to get Deshaun Watson to to Denver, I just I'm, I'm sorry, man. I just don't think that's the way to go. Well, I agree. I also think we haven't done Drew Locke a ton of favors either in his short time here in Denver. So as an example, if there was rumors that we wanted Skankarello to come here well before he was even signed. In fact, there was a period of time where uh, Skankarello was was mentioned in by Denver and Denver, you know, media and what have you. Uh, and, and, you know, as a Canadian, I follow Denver media eerily close closely considering i'm like you know north of the border and the whole whole deal um but basically as it pertains to skangarello you already knew what kind of offense he ran so you knew that he wanted kind of that shanahan-esque little kind of shift in movements and that kind of stuff and and we you know we saw a lot of the guard pulls and all that kind of stuff in the shanahan or in the uh, skangarello offense rather in terms of the run game and that sort of thing not to the same kind of look and feel as what it looks like when uh, right now we're running very close to like a munchak run offense that's where you're seeing the guard kind of sweep around mm-hmm. um that's a munchak style but uh, this you know the, they're very similar like it's very hard like you can like almost interchange them they very very similar similar skill sets but the thing is, we knew what we were trying to accomplish. We knew what we were trying to go and get. And then there's rumors of the Shan- of one of Elway actually wanting Shanahan in Denver um, as a head coach. So we kind of knew what we were looking for. And and this is kind of one of the big issues that we have as as a Denver team is we need to know what we want to run, and then we need to draft and build accordingly. And the challenge that we've had for the last several years is we don't truly have an identity. We seem to be really good at running the ball every once in a while when we decide to run properly and, and focus on it, but we don't seem to do it with gusto and with a real confidence. And when I said that Elway hadn't really focused on the O-line, that's really what I was meaning is if you're going to be a run first offensive team, then that's cool. In fact, that's what I think we should be because I think that's the best counter to someone like Patrick Mahomes in these past ha- these past happy offenses. I don't think we're built that way and I don't think the altitude lends us to be like that. I think we're better off grinding these teams down because we have those eight home games a year. I think that that works to our advantage from a conditioning perspective. 
Mm-hmm. So I would I would like us to go for the the road grader styles, like the the guys that are kind of like the the big guys that can move. And I think more and more what you're seeing from these college offensive linemen is you're seeing these 340 pound behemoths. <laughs> I don't know what else to call some of these guys. They're mammoth, and you're seeing yeah. these guys move at a at a rate that we've never seen from these offensive linemen before, and we can't just continuously discount size and immediately say, oh, that means they're slow. Because that's not true. When you're looking at some of these guys that are just m- enormous men, they're moving quick. And and we need to focus on guys like that because they can move people out the way and that helps in the run game. And then the run game can then turn into a passing attack, can also then turn into play action and some other things. So I think we need to we need to own our offensive identity and until we do that i don't think we're going to do very well um and and that's where i think we need to move as a direction as a team and that's why i'm saying i don't think we've done drew lock any favors we flip-flopped on our offensive identity three four five times since he's been here i don't think it's helped him but i also don't think drew lock has helped himself either jerry holland thanks for watching the show he says i'm leaning towards peyton's aggressive moves being down rather than up in the draft. What are you guys feeling? Now, this is something that's also uh, been talked about uh, on social media in, in a lot of uh, Broncos, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's the term websites or, or, or just anywhere that's, that's talking Broncos. And if it, it can be said that if George Payton does not feel confident about whoever he's targeting in the ninth uh, selection, he could decide to dumb down and maybe pick up another pick towards the, let's say, end of the first round and, you know, maybe go back to back picks. Kind of like what Elway did when he uh, got um, uh, Drew Locke and, and Dalton Reisner. He had to wait until the second round. But at the same time, you're not always going to get that lucky. You know, you're not always going to be able to get your uh, your your selected players uh, back to back and take it. And this is coming from somebody who, uh, when I play Madden and I do the draft and the people I have on my board, they don't fall when it's my time to pick. And it, it just, it utterly frustrates me. So, uh, if he does dumb down, it'd be, uh, it'd be a risk because then if whatever picks he makes doesn't work out in, uh, the 2021 season, then obviously that's going to blow back on him. But, uh, one advantage that I think he has is he is taking consideration uh, what John Elway's input and maybe even Vic Fangio's input. So if he can take in their consideration and input on certain players or whatever choices he has, and he can corroborate with it instead of him just kind of you know putting himself in the room and not listening to anybody's input and doing whatever he feels is right, then I think that that selection will help the Broncos go uh along further whether they decide to go in the ninth round or you know move on down and you know get another pick or so well first off i think we need to go back and we need to just take a you know a few steps backwards in this whole process so free agency comes before the draft and i i think we need to first and foremost look at what we're, we're seeing right now and what we're seeing right now is effectively free agency style moves which is where is our team at and at 5-11, and 11, we need to be honest with ourselves, we're not stellar. <laughs> okay, you don't get to 5-11 and 11 by being a quarterback away from winning, right? Now, I do think 
that there is a lot to be said for some of the comments that I'm seeing, um, Mr. Boggins being one of them, as as well as you know a few others, saying that, yeah, when you get yourself a franchise quarterback, though, like I don't know, legit franchise quarterback like a Deshaun Watson or someone like that, it certainly does put you in a much better position where you can start saying, well, there's a bit of a force multiplier with regards to those people to kind of steal a, an Eric Mangini term, which is you get a guy that's that good and then all of a sudden free agents want to come to your team and they'll come to your team because you have a franchise quarterback and because that really, really important position is taken care of. It's just a natural boost for your team when you have, I mean, look what we got with Peyton Manning. Do you honestly think that Aqib Tlaib came to Denver because John Elway said, pretty please? No, he came to Denver because just like Wes Welker and some of these other free agents that came to Denver, they said, you have the sheriff. I'm following that guy. And I and I think Deshaun Watson can be a, a similar um, player for us um, in terms of that kind of attraction for these free agents to say, you know, do you know what? I'm willing to take a spread out deal over maybe a fixed three-year period to make it cap friendly because I also know that three other really good free agents want to come here because of Deshaun Watson as well. And these players are willing to work together to play on a team that has that kind of talent, that has that kind of vision, that's willing to make those kind of type of moves. So I'd like to see um, maybe like what Boggins just said in the chat there, if you can uh, maybe um, uh, his, his piece of trading back, um, which is... Uh, yeah, exactly. You can trade back in the first round. You can finagle something like that. Um, you know, the other option is is to actually own an, aden- an offensive identity and a defensive identity, which I think Fangio is basically already solidified in Denver. So I don't think you have to worry too much about that. But if you own and can land on an offensive identity, you can start drafting your offensive players accordingly to put yourself in, in better opportunities rather than Elway's draft was basically, I want to become Kansas City and and I want to throw the ball all the way down the field and and go, you know, cr- you know, crazy and wild. We don't have the we don't have the players to to hold up and pass pro to get players that deep. And then Locke was missing those throws. So I, I think a Deshaun Watson, if we were to pull something what Boggin said there, that would potentially work. I think three first for a player while you'll cringe as the trade's being made because <laughs> you're going to say, man, think of what we just gave up. Um, I do think getting that franchise quarterback, that guy that can really, really hit the ball at the park. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, I, I, and it, it, we saw what happened with Manning. He had an absolute hot garbage offensive line. No offense to those players. Some of those were not spectacular and some of them... L- you saw what happened when we went from Manning to Simeon. We we went from a winning record to barely a winning record, and then it went downhill from there. Right. Jason O'Neill, welcome. Loyal fan of the show. Thank you so much for watching. He says, honestly, don't want to reach on a pick given the team's needs. If the pick isn't there, I would be, I'm guessing he says, okay, or on board with trading back, acquiring more picks. We have a young core that could be great. And that actually does make uh, a lot of sense uh, there, Rich. Uh, the only thing is that um, everybody does make good points. Even even Mr. Boggins, who I don't agree with on, on giving up a King's Ransom for 
for Deshaun Watson. Uh, because I'm pretty sure whatever the Houston Texans demands are, and they're going to be pretty high, they might not just be all, you know, we want your your first three-round picks for the next three or four years. If it's the Broncos, they could want somebody like Sutton. They could want somebody like Jerry Judy, who I, I'll, I'll give you, he hasn't been the best uh, social media representative uh, for the Broncos these last couple of weeks. Uh, or they could want somebody like Hamler. They could want a piece of the what makes the offense, uh, or what could be making the Denver Broncos offensive weapon uh, much better. And you don't want to take that away from Deshaun if if you were to happen to to land him. It's that, and I just don't think that the Broncos are the only team that are going to be gunning for him to come and get, uh, uh, you know, try to land a Deshaun Watson. There's going to be uh, maybe the Jets. I'm not so sure about the Jets. I think the Jets are going to uh, be okay uh, if they decide to go with Sam Darnold, but they, they could be a big contender because they will have the cap space available to you know to deal with his uh, co- contract. J- Jacksonville, uh, Urban Meyer, and their, the whole that whole franchise is all set on Trevor Lawrence and see how that works out. But uh, to me, I just... Uh, I, I just I, I'm, I'm not ready to give up on, on Drew Locke yet. And I always keep making the same comparison. And that's the, the Josh Allen uh, experience. If Buffalo had given up on Josh Allen before this season, could the Buffalo Bills have made it as far as they did this season? Could they have won the division? You know, there's just so much uh, to be said. And I'll give you that Julak didn't have the, the fantastic year that we all imagined he would have at the end of 20. Uh, 19. That's the year that we were all hoping for. But unfortunately, he came in. He made his mistakes. He did what he had to do. And unfortunately, my <laughs> co-host left. Uh, but I will, I will try to to tell you guys that I do believe that if if Watson does come to Denver, I just hope that whatever deal Peyton makes, that it's uh you know uh friendly and not you know throw out the the farm and i i knew that was coming i knew that was coming uh good friend mundunga says stop comparing Locke to allen not even close to the same scenario completely different talent levels and completely different rosters and you're right you're you're totally right it, it is completely different talent levels and it's completely different rosters the only thing that made uh, Josh Allen, a, a much better quarterback this season, was the coaching. The coaching is just, it, it was just, it, it was better. And it, it's going to continue as much as you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to uh, de- deal, deal with it, you know? And um, I just don't, uh, I, I just don't know what, what, what else to, 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 to tell you? I, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to defend my boy Drew Lock here, Mundungus. And I know you want Fitz Magic to come in here and and you know and steal the show, and that's probably going to end up happening. Um, but I, I'm I'm just that's that's just my two cents on on the thing. Uh, Mr. Well, Bar- Allen is Allen is not, or sorry, Lock and Allen are not even close. I mean. You have to you have to look at Josh Allen and look at his rushing uh, ability and and I mean immediately as soon as you factor that in, um, 
you basically have half a running back in Josh Allen, and and I've I've often made comments that he's basically a galloping moose, right? Like he is he is he's a big boy, <laughs> and and uh, you know you, you can't be comparing Drew 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 Locke couldn't keep up with Josh Allen if he wanted to. Uh, that just that's just they have completely different skill sets. So you can't be comparing Allen and Locke together because they just bring different skill sets to the table. And Allen has a way better arm than Drew. His accuracy this this season was better than than Drew's. Uh, uh, Mr. Boggan says, I trade a Paxton Lynch, Bradley Roby, and Tim Tebow for Deshaun Watson. First round picks aren't always gold. LOL, Watson is. And there, there's a truth to that. Mr. Boggins is completely right. There are a lot of first-round picks over the years that have just flamed out. You know, they they played great college ball. They looked great on tape. You know, they, they made all the right moves. Some of them were even Heisman Trophy winners. But the 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 thing that they always fail to, to, to come to realize is that the NFL and college are two way different systems. They're not the same. You know, if you get popular in the NFL and, you know, you make it big, you have to kind of learn how to handle, you know, being famous and, you know, getting used to working with certain teammates and, you know, running defensive schemes and or, or offensive schemes or whatever your position is in that team. Maybe even having to deal with getting traded should you uh, not be able to be uh, uh, to a certain team's liking anymore. I mean, there's a there's a lot that can go on in, in the NFL. So, and, and I'm, t- I'm, 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 I don't disagree with you, Boggins. I totally agree. Watson is, he's a hell of a player. He's done, he's, he's a great quarterback and everything. But I just don't think that as great as Watson is or has done, that if you bring that over to Denver, that, you know, obviously then the Broncos would be all, all chips in. You know, they, they they already they got they they traded what they wanted to trade. They gave up who they wanted to give up if if the Texans wanted certain players, and if Deshaun Watson cannot bring uh, uh, a playoff at, even at, at the, as a consolation prize, at least a, a playoff run, let alone a Super Bowl uh, title or two to Denver, then that uh, that trade will always be frowned upon on what could have been and what should have happened. You know. Yeah, but the same thing could have been held true from when we got Peyton Manning in here. I mean, he was coming off of, I literally lost count of the number of surgeries Peyton had. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it was silly. I mean, there was, there was reports that there was periods of time where Peyton could not throw a football or even hold a football, let alone throw a football. So I think we need to just be very, very careful about how critical we're going to be of, of Deshaun coming here. Um, I've always been a huge proponent for a team that is seemingly, I don't want to say stacked, but at least um, only lacking kind of more specific and fixed pieces on our football team. So we have the ability with our current cap situation and with our current age, uh, free agents and that sort of thing to shed a lot of dead deadwood and, and burn it off the team, which would then allow us to go out and get some more appropriate free agency pieces. And if we were to, if we were to go out and say, maybe not sign Simmons at like the fifteen million dollars a year at the safety position, but bring in either a free agent or draft someone to kind of fill his spot with only a modest drop off in play, 
that would allow us to keep a cheaper option at a position, but then keep a Deshaun Watson and fill out some of the team around him. I would also then be a huge proponent of the Broncos consolidating picks within each individual draft and tried to move up to like the second and third rounds to fill out the roster to ensure that we get better talent at specific positions. So what I mean by that is, you know, you've heard guys like Browning come up from his senior bowl performance and showing that he can both cover and tackle. That would be a great target for the Broncos because of our need and our want to kind of get both younger, better and faster at the middle linebacker position. You know, we have a few running backs that we could potentially target um, in the, uh, you know, third and fourth round, despite my absolute admiration for a guy like Najee Harris, who I think would absolutely just knock our offense through you know through the park but i need to be realistic if we're going to go after a top tier quarterback like a deshaun watson a guy like Najee harris would then no longer be on the table because we would then need to fill out to say the right tackle position maybe in the second round with a guy like daniel Falele. and that's the type of stuff that we would need to kind of look at as we're building out our team and as we're looking at our roster building scenario is you get your Deshaun Watson, with the, which immediately starts raising a lot of those mediocre receivers or bottom-end receivers because he demands better. And if they if they live up to that potential, awesome. If they don't, kick them off the team, bring in someone else because there are going to be other people that will do better. Stamp that offensive identity so that we don't need to guess anymore, and then we can start building the team properly. And consolidate our picks. I, I, I honestly think that if we go with Mr. Boggin, uh, Boggins... Um, uh, scenario of getting those three first by trading down from nine. The problem I think is that there's going to be quite a number of teams that are going to want to trade down this year to try and bolster their picks. So I have a funny feeling it's going to be a bit of a buyer's market. So we might not get a first round next year. We might end up getting something more like a second. That would be my concern. But that would be certainly something that I'd be more than open to to say, hey, if that gets us to Sean with those three firsts and then we don't have to give up additional seconds and a bunch of other players and stuff like that, then I'd be all over that. I honestly think that you could have probably made that deal with had Bill O'Brien still been part of the Houston Texans offense this offseason, you know, because you could have got Deshaun for a third if O'Brien was there. Yeah, because I mean, what he gave up DeAndre Hopkins for last season, I mean, it's it was it was like a bag of chips uh, damn near <laughs> so uh I, I mean anything can happen rich uh, but uh, like you said at the beginning of the show it all depends on what uh Peyton can do in free agency uh obviously we already saw that uh the broncos have moved on from uh aj bouye which is something that a lot of broncos fans predicted the broncos were going to do so the the cornerback position will be open uh, i don't I don't have a list or an idea of what the uh, top available cornerbacks are are going to be. I did hear something about Patrick Peterson being maybe a consideration, but unfortunately, I don't think that uh, he'd be worth it because I, I think he's still under contract. So if the Broncos even were in anywhere near interested in acquiring his services, he would be quite uh, expensive. And it seems to me like Denver might try to go... A different route from the one-year rentals like they did with AJ uh, because he did show some kind of promise when he was acquired especially since he was only acquired for a fourth round pick and maybe the Broncos were hoping to get the 20 what was it 28 2018 version of uh, of, of Saxonville uh, AJ Bouye but unfortunately that didn't happen 
So uh, they could go with Kayla Fairley, who is one of the uh, top-rated cornerbacks in the in the draft, if I'm not mistaken, if he happens to fall that low or if Denver is even still hanging around in, by the ninth pick. Uh, any anything could anything goes, but it it does bring to to question what his his uh, top uh, targets are going to be in free agency and just how far uh, the GM is willing to go to sign players, knowing that the salary cap is going to be uh, reduced this season. Right. So the the question first is you end up bolstering young cornerbacks by getting pressure on the cornerback, the quarterback of the opposing team right up the middle. So by forcing the quarterback to throw either off schedule or having to stop planting his feet moving with the exception of Patrick Mahomes, who seems to be able to hit a throw even when he's like vertical or or horizontal in the air, which is just ridiculous. But I mean, there's only one Mahomes in the league, so that's fine. Although he happens to be in our division. Um, which is unfortunate, but I mean, generally speaking, most quarterbacks need to plant their feet properly in order to set and make a throw. So what you end up with is a scenario where if he can, if, if he can bring in interior pressure, the one thing I said outside of all of his other trade rumors for like three first for Deshaun and that kind of stuff is I'd love to see some finagling to bring in a guy like Deron Payne from the Washington football team. I think he's the kind of type of guy that we really need on our team. Someone that can actually get pressure straight up the middle, kind of like an Aaron Donald does right from that, like that nose tackle, defensive tackle center of the field position. Um, someone like that would be great for us. Uh, we have Mike Purcell, which is awesome. He, he does a phenomenal job against the run, but he traditionally has not um, collapsed the interior of the pocket much. And, and that might have something to do with the left defensive ends not being particularly stellar. Shelby Harris has done a great job at being versatile and batting passes as well as getting some modest pressure from the right-hand side primarily. But we need someone on that left side to kind of do what Malik Jackson used to do, which is consistently get through the line and keep that center of the pocket collapsing to force the quarterback to reset and try to throw again. If we do that, then I would be absolutely totally cool with looking at a cornerback maybe in round one, because then that would mean that we've already solidified the interior defensive line to a point where we would be okay. And then we can then look at developmental players to start doing what we used to do on the Denver Broncos, which is you had your starters and then you had pretty good developmental players that were then learning behind solid veterans and learning the right way of doing things and starting to build that cyclical culture of winning. So mm-hmm. I would love to see something like that start up again in Denver. And, and, and I honestly think it starts through bringing that initial veteran leadership. We saw a lot of that come through with the no-fly zone in terms of the cornerbacks and stuff in, in Denver. And I think we can start continuing to build that. And we've had stacked uh, edge rushers here in Denver for a good period of time with Vaughn and Elvis and and DeMarcus uh, Ware. And we've had this, this nice succession of solid edge rushers that we've been able to kind of build that legacy of each of those, you know, almost all of those guys are almost Hall of Fame players. <laughs> so, um, it would be nice to see us be able to start stacking talent on top of talent and start to become that winning franchise again. I I hear you, Rich. And uh, let's just get one thing straight. 
I don't know about you, Rich, but I'm certainly glad that this whole thing about Carson Wentz is just over with uh, because the, the, those rumors that Denver was in the in talks or uh, on on the trail or on the road or whatever you want to say that to try to land Carson Wentz in Denver, I'm, I'm glad that those got squashed and put to sleep. Uh, it seems like Wentz is either going to land in, in Indianapolis or with the Bears. Uh, from what I, I've been hearing today. So that just pretty much leaves uh, whatever happens with uh, Deshaun Watson. Uh, there were some talks about Sam Darnold. I, I don't know why. Uh, but I, I think Sam Darnold is going to... I think he's going to stay with the Jets. Uh, somewhere, Rich, uh, their new head coach, might decide to gamble and give Sam Darnold another shot unless the Jets do something in... Um, free agency like get a, a veteran quarterback that kind of try to light a fire under Sam Darnold I mean uh, I don't know uh, but you do have a good uh, couple of veteran quarterbacks hitting the free market uh, I believe Cam Newton is one of them he, he's not he doesn't want to sign with the Patriots one more season uh, uh, my boss's uh, favorite quarterback of all time Fitzmagic is probably gonna uh, add a new uh, jersey to his collection and uh, Alex Smith who might hit the free agent market if uh, the Washington football team does not come up with anything else. And uh, the the Steelers, I think the Steelers are probably my sleeper pick because even though they did sign uh, Dwayne Haskins to a one-year deal, uh, I I got I to gotta say that maybe it's it's close to for time for the Steelers to start looking for another quarterback. I mean, that, uh, that, that, that what was it, the wild card game? Uh, against the Browns, I mean that was one of the worst uh, Steelers games that they've had in in a long time. So there, there's a bunch of quarterbacks that are listed there. I do want to touch on that Steelers piece though, um, but um, Trubisky is another one that keeps on coming up. Um, you have Carson Wentz, you have Sam Darnold, Alex Smith, Russell Wilson has recently come up because of some of his comments that are, have been made. I mean, Aaron Rodgers made one comment about his team that was less than favorable, and all of a sudden everyone said, oh, maybe he'll go to the Broncos. It's like, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> and then, and then of course, there's Deshaun Watson. Um, and I, I'm happy to see some of the Wentz trade rumors kind of subside a little bit. Um, I mean, really, Wentz at this point in his career is only worth about a second-round pick at best given his injury history because you have a substantial risk as a team taking on someone who has not been able to make it through as many seasons as he has. Mm -hmm. But uh, with regards to Darnold, I could actually see the Jets wanting to keep him and treat him almost like um, Drew Locke and say, we don't believe we have put an offensive line in front of him or a consistent offensive scheme in front of him. And we need to present ourselves as a unified front in terms of what we want to do and why we want to do it. And and I think that once they bolster that offensive line a little bit and then get another running back brought into the equation, I think you could start seeing a, a, a slightly different player with a little bit more confidence. Um, I hate to use Rex Ryan, the former New York coaches, uh, uh, I actually like Rex Ryan, he, he, but at the same time, he kind of, you know, overstayed his welcome in a, a few different teams. But I think the ground and pound style for New York is rather fitting. And I think if they can really get the the big moving, you know, the, the, the people movers in the front kind of going, 
I think that'll start bolstering Sam Darnold's confidence again and, and stop having him see ghosts like he's been seeing the last few years. And then I think you'll start seeing that confidence rebuild back and his, his, you know, he'll just start kind of calming down and start playing back to the way we know he probably can. Um, going over to the Steelers, I actually believe that they're probably more likely to extend Ben Roethlisberger to some kind of a a re-and-re where they extend him for another year or something to that effect and basically bring his cap value down. I I think what you're going to probably see is the Steelers want to see if Ben can actually turn into more of a mentor rather than a starter, so kind of become almost a bit of a hybrid because the Steelers are one of those really storied franchises that are really big on, on legacy, and because they have really stable ownership, I honestly believe that you're going to have the owner literally walking up to Ben Roethlisberger and saying, this is what we're going to do. And, and, and literally have a sit down dinner with, with Ben and his, his family and say, this is what we want to do. And this is why we want to do it. Zachary smiles. Good loyal fan of the show. Thanks for watching my friend. He says, I just want to let Locke play one more year because no OTAs last year hurt us with getting a new offensive coordinator. Now, I mean, you could make a case out of that, but uh, like Mr. Boggan said, we uh, we did have, you know, $53 million sitting on the bench in terms of injury, which was, if I'm not mistaken, only second to what the 49ers had on, on their bench in terms of uh, injured players that they lost for the year. Uh, but if, 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 if Drew Locke does get another year, I think that the chain on him is going to be a whole lot tighter, which means that he's going to be criticized even more than he was last year. There's no more safety net of, you know, I have a new offensive coordinator, so I have a new playbook to, to learn or what have you. Everything he does will be uh, under the microscope, viewed more, and it could be where he does not even get to... Uh, make a point in in terms of uh, you, you know trying to to he'll lose the locker room basically is what I'm trying to say. So, Zachary, thank you first off for for commenting. I really appreciate uh, you know the comments and and you tuning into the show. Uh, I really want to hear some feedback, so I want to see some more comments in here. Um, but Drew Lock knew he was going to be the guy last year. He also knew that there was about three different things that were pretty legitimate issues with his game. Reading defenses, throwing the ball to the right spot on the field, and throwing off his back foot. So my my first big question back to comments like that one right there is, which one of those three did he fix last offseason when he was basically told by John Elway and the Denver Broncos that he was going to be the starting quarterback? Because... From my, from my eyes that I saw on the field, he didn't fix a single one. So if he had all of these players and the draft was basically 60-some-odd percent offense, which is basically saying, Drew, you're the guy, here's your weapons. What did Drew do in the offseason to show to you as a fan, to me as a fan, and to six foot ten here as a fan, to say, I understand my role and responsibility as a starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos, I'm going to take this responsibility seriously. And as a result of that, I'm going to pick one or two items of my game and just hit it out the park. So my my comment, generally speaking here, is 
I think Drew could have really made a major leap forward with fixing one element of his game, and that is learning to throw the ball to the right spot to his receivers. If we look back at some of the picks that he ended up throwing, they were as a result of him throwing to the inside shoulder of his receivers rather than the outside shoulder of his receivers. We saw that with Fumagalli in the back end of the end of the red zone against, I can't remember which team it was, but when, when Drew Locke was throwing kind of on the fly, he threw to the inside shoulder rather than the outside shoulder. And if he had thrown to the outside shoulder, even if Fumagalli didn't catch the ball, which is fine, it at least would not have been picked off by the opposing defense. Instead, the opposing defense saw the throw, jumped the route, picked it off, and we then lost a possession in the red zone, which is a big deal. That could have been a field goal. That's points missed from the board as a result of a poor throw by Drew Locke. That's one example of, I mean, I could go on, but that's one example of many that where if Drew Locke had fixed that one or two points in his game, we would have killed it. Right. And I actually want to go back to a point that I missed uh, earlier uh, that Mr. Boggins made, and he was talking about Russell Wilson. Uh, Seahawks would have $39 million dead cap if they traded him. Not sure why this is still a rumor. So uh, I believe he's talking about the whole, basically everything that Russell Wilson stirred up in the last few weeks in terms of, uh, you know, him maybe wanting to be traded and, and whatnot. And after analyzing all that, I don't get that vibe from Wilson. I just get the vibe from him that he basically wants more input, more say in the offense and basically kind of telling the Seahawks offense uh, or front office, I should say that, hey, guys, look, this whole thing you guys have been trying to do for the last few years isn't working. You know, the Legion of Boom is gone. The offensive line has not gotten better. Russell Wilson has been one of the most sacked quarterbacks since he came into the National Football League. And uh, aside from his one Super Bowl win, I mean, if you saw the Super Bowl, Rich, uh, this past one from two two weeks ago, just the look on his face when he was there with his wife and, and uh, Roger Goodell, I mean, he he looked like pissed off. He looked like like he basically like he should have been down there and not up there, you know, <laughs> in the skybox watching the game. And and I totally get that. That should be a sentiment made from uh, uh, from from everybody, every any player that was that was there uh, at the game. But uh, let's just get it straight that uh, Russell Wilson is not trying to get traded. He's just trying to find uh, a better way to improve his his team where he's at now, because I I just don't think that the Seahawks would be in any type of position to even consider trading Russell Wilson. No, I, I agree. I, I actually think that that Wilson's Wilson was trying to build off of Deshaun Watson, right? I think Wilson was trying to basically say, "Hey, see what that guy over there in Houston's doing." Here's my here's my shot across the bow, right? Like you know the the old pirate <laughs> shot across the bow warning shot, right? Right. Here's my shot across the bow as a warning to you, to say I'm not so far off from where that guy's at. I'm gonna give you a public opportunity to fix yourself, and I have to imagine that Russell Wilson, if we're gonna be honest, he seems like a pretty straight up dude. Like he seems like he's 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 pretty much the company man, if you will. I actually think he's probably had those discussions with the Seahawks privately, and he's probably pretty pissed off that they haven't listened to him. So this is probably his next, you know, he started here and now he's going here. And he's saying, 
all right, you see what is happening with Deshaun in, in, in Houston? Guess what? If I, Russell Wilson, the Russell Wilson, start spewing off a similar thing to what Deshaun Watson has, you think that the Deshaun Watson rumors are bad. Wait till I start <laughs> saying the same thing. Because if, if Deshaun Watson's garnering this, the media attention right now that he is, what do you think is going to happen when Wilson starts to basically say, I want out, these guys are fools? Right. Uh, actually, no, before that one. Uh, Zachary Smile says, none, but the offensive playing didn't fit him either, in my opinion. Shermer should have helped utilize our players as well. And you know, for a first for a first year uh, offensive coordinator for for Shermer, I think the bar was pretty much set by what Scangarello did towards the end of the season. And a lot of fans feel that Shermer just didn't get just not only didn't pass that for some people didn't even meet that standard, and in some people's cases was way below it. You know, because as you said, the Broncos finished five and eleven on the year, so. I mean, you could chalk that up to, you know, the injuries that happened, the fact that uh, uh, things just didn't go the Broncos way, which is fine. But at the same time, he's also going to be under the same microscope as uh, Vic Fangio's coming in, in terms of, you know, there's, there's no more room for error. You can't blame it on the injuries. You can't blame it on, you know, missed timeout opportunities from the head coach or missed offensive plays from the offensive coordinator. Because uh, all that stuff with the new GM is just going to be, I'm pretty sure he's going to be taking down notes. He's going to be writing stuff down. And I wouldn't be surprised if either one of those two guys didn't make it to the end of the 2021 season if the Broncos do not improve. Right. So, again, if I'm going to tie this back to the original comment that, that Zachary made earlier, the one that we commented on before in the show, I see these two comments being slightly at odds with one another. So on the one hand, is this Drew Locke not getting OTAs and not being able to get comfortable with the offense? Or are you tying together the fact that Shermer also didn't get OTAs and everything as well? Because if you're going to say that Shermer didn't get OTAs as well, then you should be giving him a pass for a little bit of the season too because he didn't have that opportunity to then go through his offense to see what the offensive players could and could not do, could and could not execute, etc., etc., etc. I'm going to go back to my original comments because I am a huge proponent of personal responsibility as an individual. Shermer is a veteran offensive coordinator who looked at the talent that was on his team and layered those pieces on the field. We had KJ Hamler, who was a speedster, who was not on the field the first little bit. We had Tim Patrick and we had Cortland Sutton, who are both uh, what I just refer to as zip code receivers, right? I mean, those two guys, if you throw it in their general vicinity, one-handed or two-handed, they're catching the ball basically, and, <laughs> and, it, and, and you're good to go. Which is great because Drew Locke is very much kind of like a Brett Farvish type quarterback who likes to throw the ball kind of a bit like a gunslinger, and it's not always accurate. So that's why you saw a guy like Tim Patrick and a guy like Horton Sutton when he or Sutton rather when he was playing with playing with Drew Locke last year. That's why you saw Drew Locke doing so well. In fact, Drew Locke did really well when both of them were on the field at the same time because both of them are very similar players. And you might think, well, wait a minute, they're very similar. So why would you want both of them on the on the field at the same time? 
Well, that's because your quarterback likes guys like that. He likes guys like Albert O. He likes guys like Noah Fan. He likes guys like Tim Patrick and Courtland Sutton because they're the type of guys that you go to the back, you know, the backfield, you know, kicking out in the farm field near your house. Who you're saying, if I throw it in their general area, it's caught one-handed or two-handed and we got a touchdown going. So that's what I'm, I see in those guys. Whereas you look at a guy like Jerry Judy, he's more akin and probably better suited for a guy like a Tom Brady or um, a Drew Brees or uh, Peyton Manning, who are, they're tacticians. Like those quarterbacks are saying, you're going to take three steps, you're going to turn left, and you're going to turn right, and then you're going to break out left again, and then I'm going to hit you after your second stride and three seconds after you leave the line of scrimmage. Like, that's how detailed some of those guys are. And Jerry Judy is very much like that type of mindset, which is why I think you're seeing a guy like Tim Patrick not say a damn thing, and you're seeing a guy like Jerry Judy complaining that he got his workouts in, right? And and so I just, I, in my opinion, Shermer at the very early part of the season – layered a three-layer offense i don't think it was necessarily great for drew lock because i don't believe drew lock did the needed work in the offseason get himself to a level where that was comfortable and con- and he was confident in a system like that Shermer recognized that and then scaled the offense dramatically back and he continued to step it back as the season went on and eventually once we hit the dolphins game Shermer finally found that he had dumbed it down enough. No offense to Drew Locke, but it's just a fact. Rookie quarterbacks or, or young quarterbacks will need their offense dumbed down. And unfortunately, Drew Locke needed it scaled way back. And that's where we found ourselves. That is probably part of the reason why Shermer is looking for another quarterback right now, is that when you scale an offense back so dramatically, opposing defenses can basically read it. Because there's so few plays at the disposal of the offense that you can't do much. And as a result of that, the opposing defenses basically know what you're going to run before you're going to run it yourself. Uh, yeah, very well said, uh, Rich. Uh, uh, guys, we're running short on time, so we're going to try to get through as much as your comments as fast as we can before uh, we wrap things up. Uh, Mundunga says, how much of the offensive struggles were because Shermer was being a bad coach and how much of it was because Locke was not being able to handle the play Shermer wanted to run, put Shermer into bad plays. Now, uh, I actually was thinking about this, and I think the answer is 50-50 because there is a lot of plays where I saw Drew Locke, uh, and we, we talked about it on the show before, he didn't trust his pocket, he threw on the run, he just made these types of issues or mistakes where I'm pretty sure it wasn't in practice what they practiced, And it just wasn't what needed to be uh, done. So with that said, I, I just think it's it's like 50-50. Uh, you know, half of it is on Drew for not doing it the way it was schemed up to be. And the other half was on uh, Pat Shermer. But Pat Shermer, it's, his blame is not so much on, on Drew Locke, I would say. I would say that Pat Shermer's biggest gripes with most fans is the running game. The fact that he wasn't able to utilize Philip Lindsay to his full strength and uh, even Melvin Gordon to some extent in certain games to uh, his extent. So, right. Uh, was that was that offensive line or uh, like it, it was that offensive line or or was that scheme or was that a bit of both? Right. And that's that's the real question. You could flip a coin uh, and right. I, I'm pretty sure you couldn't be wrong, whichever, whichever side <laughs> it landed, Rich. Uh, you know, Mike Munchak also, he didn't have the best season. 
uh, this year. I, and, and it's it's not his fault that our right tackle decided to sit out. But at the same time, it wasn't great to have uh, Turnstile Wilkinson out there and um, just just trying to uh, just trying to do everything. Uh, Jerry Holland says, wait, do we know for a fact how much he scaled back the playbook? I mean, I haven't heard or seen much on that. Well, I, I haven't either, Jerry, to be honest with you. I just know that it's it's something that most uh, offensive coordinators do to try to help uh, quarterbacks come in and not try to remember. It's kind of like when you go to a restaurant and you see a menu. You're more liable to uh, to remember a menu that's only maybe a page or two pages long at the most versus a menu where I've been that's like five or six pages and it's not just you know wine list or dessert list it's like everything that the restaurant has been making for however long they've been open so some offensive coordinators believe that the less a quarterback has to remember then you know maybe the better they'll be for that game and then they can scheme up something else uh for a different game i can speak to that a little bit um the the playbook was substantially scaled back the looks that we were running were completely different at the end of the year than the beginning of the year i mean when was it the Panthers game or the Dolphins game uh, was when we really started to see the offensive line um, moving. Like we saw the guards pulling from like Dalton Reisner was going from the far from his left guard spot to bookending the right tackle and sealing off that edge. And that's when we started seeing whether it be Melvin Gordon or Philip Lindsay running to the outside. And then we saw Glasgow being asked to move from the right guard spot over to the other opposing side on the other side of Garrett Bowles. So we, we saw a, a fair amount of offensive guard movement and offensive line movement in general, um, starting right around the Dolphins game. And, and that's textbook Munchak run game uh, in terms of the, off- the offensive line scheme. So, we saw a substantial change in how we approached the game as a team in that Dolphins game. And I think the Panthers game was the other one where we saw Drew Locke really, we almost saw Drew Locke almost change, right? Right. We saw him actually improve over those last games of the year. And that was when we started to see the, uh, the offensive line move. We started to see more shifting. We started seeing that kind of stuff. And, and that's what I was referring to is that you need to take your scheme and you need to own it. So there's nothing to say that our line isn't good. It's, it's that, we need to own what we're going to run and we need to own what we're going to do. And if we're going to own what we do, then we can then either draft or obtain the right players in order to do what we need to do. Right. Uh, And going back to what Chad had said, uh, he said, why would you run the small, fast guy, Lindsay up the middle most of the time in the slower bear backboard and outside? It's it's pretty dumb. And I I tend to agree with that. Uh, It it just, it's a huge miscommunication on 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 Shermer's part to his running backs but then again this is something that we could have maybe ex- expected to see seeing as how they didn't have uh uh Janovic uh in Denver anymore you know in terms of uh the, our fullback because having a fullback helped our, our running game substantially when he was there and with him gone and then again Pat Shermer was never been known to be uh, uh a kind of a, a running back guru I guess you could say or what have you because uh I think I said this last week. He had Saquon Barkley when he was a head coach in in the Giants, one of the best running backs coming out of college, and he he was a monster. He did have a couple of plays, but Saquon Barkley could have been so much better in twenty uh, what was it twenty nineteen 
uh, he, you know, his numbers could have been just so much more better. No, Lindsay does not really fit Shermer's offense. Now, if you look back at what Lindsay was able to do last year, some of his biggest runs are right up the middle. So I actually think Shermer, what he was trying to do is he was trying to look back at what Lindsay did last year and was trying to call those plays to say, okay, now go up the middle. So that's why I think it's really important that we as fans, we don't know what Lindsay has been told to do. And perhaps some of those frustrations that Lindsay had was that the, the between the guard and the center on both sides were challenging runs this year, clearly. Um, and, and, last year we saw those holes open up a little bit more so I, I do wonder if this is a little bit more of an attempt by Shermer to replicate some of the positives from last year that we saw at the back end particularly when Drew Locke came in um, and say well I could probably do that too and then not um, Lindsay likes to cut straight and then go now, whether or not that's diagonal and then down, or whether or not that's diagonal and down the other way, he typically doesn't go this, you know, meandering piece. Like we saw Darren Sproles do a lot of like, uh, you know, shimmy shaking <laughs> in the in the middle of the field, right? Where he used to juke guys. Lindsay is basically more of that. I'm so fast, good luck catching me type of running back, right? So he used to. He basically likes to use his speed to basically outplay the middle of the field or that second tier which is basically saying i am small you are bigger than i am you're not going to catch me and then once i get past you you're done Mm -hmm. because i'm stronger in my lower body than most of the cornerbacks who are on your roster so they're going to have a hard time bringing me down or catching me because i'm as fast as they are but i'm stronger in my lower body than they are so Lindsay did really well in the 2019 season when uh, Scangarello was our offensive coordinator going uh, between the offensive center and the guard on both sides of the ball. And I think that Scangar- uh, that uh, Shermer tried to replicate that. And because his blocking scheme did not match Scangarello's and because our guards and center were not able to get the same separation, we just weren't able to replicate that. And that's why Lindsay had so many struggles, it- it particularly in his runs up the middle. You're right. And unfortunately, guys, this is something that I wish we could get into more detail. But unfortunately, it's time for us to wrap it up. Uh, thanks for joining us, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, as always, you guys can follow us on social media. Uh, follow MHRT Podcast. You see our, uh, our our followings right there on Facebook, MHRT Podcast. YouTube, MHRT Podcast. On Twitter, at MHRT Podcast. If you want to follow myself, my Twitter handle is at a the letter, the number six FT one zero Mexican, a six foot ten Mexican altogether. If you want to follow my co-host Rich, he's at R I C H I R I C H E H. You guys can follow us there. And you know, any comments, ideas, or you know, we can talk more Broncos on there. You know, Rich and I are always available to sit and you know have a have a beer or so uh, with you guys and you know keep talking even when we're not on the air. And as always, we hope to see you guys here next week. Uh, To our audio listeners, wherever you're listening to us, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, If you can, if you're on Anchor and you want to be a monthly supporter, uh, help us out. It'd be great. You can be a part of uh, our our Broncos family. It's growing every single day. Uh, Shout out to Chris Hernandez, who is one of our monthly supporters. Uh, So you can be one, too. Or And if you're listening to any other platform, you can come and be a part of the live show. 
Uh, we go live every Tuesday. Uh, come in and check us out. See what Rich and I look uh, sitting in front of a camera and not always having to, you know, hear us talk. So uh, for Richie Rich, uh, I'm Adon Diaz. Have a good night, everybody. We'll see you next week, Broncos country. Thank you guys. Like and share. Thank you. Thank you.